Philippians chapter 3 and verse uh, we'll look at verse 7 together. What things, Paul is writing, he says, what things were gained to me, those I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sometimes we want one without the other, don't we? Uh, the two come together, by the way. You can't have one without the other. Uh, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me leave it there to read in the moment. This one thing I do, just say that one thing. One thing. And then Paul gives us three things. But they're all linked together. And it's really important to see this. Paul says, this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. And reach forward to those things which are ahead. If I was to just narrow that down, I'd describe that as a process. Right? Because... The important part, it's almost like they're not, they're not, they can't be separated, those two, in the Christian life. The forgetting the past is part of pressing ahead and reaching towards the future and the goal. Do you, do you get what I'm saying there? That is part, it's almost like an A, B of the point A, point B of the same thing, really. And... Uh, Last week, I, I, I talked about those things that hold us back, those things in our past. I also said about too many of us are prisoners of our past lives. And I want to let you know today, whether you're a believer or not, whether you come into this church or not, and you, you, you understand what's going on here, I want to say to you that Jesus said, it, 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 you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We're being set free all the time through things in the past. There's things in the past that debilitate, limit, and hold us back, immobilize us from reaching into our destiny. Our history is always going to be connected to our destiny. And so sometimes we really need to realize that what is past has gone and not allow it to influence our journey forward. Only for good. So that the remembering that we do is positive and never negative. So that when you look back in your past life, as painful as that may be, as scarred as it may be, as difficult as it may be, realize this. God does not intend for your past life to hurt your future life. He intends it to be a platform, a catalyst uh, stepping stones, not stumbling blocks, stepping stones for you to go forward. Our God is a God of advancement. 
Our God is a God who is a God of today and the future. And God wants you to have a future that is assured and secure in him. Really important, really important. God does not have bad stuff lined up for you. God doesn't give you bad stuff, by the way. I mean, I've heard some Christians kind of say, you know, oh, God gave me this and God gave... God didn't give you those. Life gave those to you. And Jesus said to his disciples, in this, in this life, you'll have tribulation. You will then put it another way, you'll have adversity. There will be difficulties. Now, we all know that some difficulties in our past, we're not down to the devil. Certainly weren't down to God. In fact, they weren't down to anyone else. Down to me. And the minute we take responsibility of that, some of them were down to somebody else. I'm talking about myself here, not you. But we can't always have a blame culture. We can't always say it was someone else, it was someone, it was something else, it was someone else, someone else. So at some point, we have to hold up our hands and say, look, I realise, Lord, I'm far from perfect, I tripped up, I failed, I did this, I did that. And the minute you begin to say that to the Lord, you start to speak positivity over your negativity. You start to speak advancement and progression into your life. I believed, therefore have I spoken, says the scripture. When I look back at the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, as a lot of our faith emanates and flows from that, right, the Passover, the first Passover, the deliverance of Israelites, the Jews in slavery, in bondage, in Egypt, uh, Christian ethos and message was birthed in that whole exodus thing. And now we have an exodus in Christ. We come out of darkness into his light. The whole thing is analogized through the scripture in Canaan and in the promised land. Most, many of the old hymns that were written were written into that, in that truth. That truth was, a, if you like, a, a springboard for a lot of people to write hymns from. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, comes to mind. Um, bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. You know, all the great hymns. They've come out of that wonderful, wonderful uh, period of truth and the narrative from Exodus uh, that is in there to read and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all that. Uh, but what I want to say about that is that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were a people who were totally consumeristic. They were a people whose language was give, give, give. They were a baby people, an infant people in their faith. And then you, you, you send the babies. When they want something, what do they do? Cry. Am I right? Especially dads, when their daughters start crying, that's it. Get anything they want. And they know it. As good as God has got it. that right? Don't, crocodile tears, we call it. You know, most parents, they, we see parents, when we used to run the nursery, and Max used to run the nursery, we see parents bring their children to the nursery for the first day. And they, they, put, the, they put the child in there, and they don't go away. They stay until the child cries. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? If they don't cry, they make them cry. Because if they don't cry, they're not... Oh, oh, please, little Johnny, stay there, stay there. I'll be back soon. I'll be back. They're not crying. They're getting on with it. I think there's something wrong. 
So this baby linger and linger when they cry. No, I've got to go. <laughs> Isn't that right, love? We see it all the time. Because I often say it's not the children, it's the parents you've got to worry about. So at some point they leave them there. At some point, once they've bawled their eyes out and they turn around to the nurse and can I go now? And they hurry up and go. It's the way it is. But the children's reaction, these were children who came out of Egypt and all he said was, gimme, 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 gimme. Gimme, 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 gimme. And you know what the Lord did? Because they were babies, he said, I will give you, I will give you, I will give you. Then after a while he said, do you know what? I'm going to send them a big earthquake and swallow some of you up because I'm fed up. I'm going to send serpents among you because, well, you know, I'm fed up with it. And in the wilderness, the wilderness is a place of preparation. The wilderness is a place where we mature and we gain character. If you're in a wilderness at the moment, I want to say it's never God's intention that you live there. God has moved you in to move you out. God has moved you in to move you through. John the Baptist came out of the wilderness and he ministered for about, what, 18 months? Phenomenal. Lived 30 years for 18 months. He had to learn the secret of holding on to things lightly. Imagine that. You only, you only ministered for 18 months. That was all God needed from you. He was ready. Wow. How amazing that is. Jesus came out of, out of, his, out of the wilderness. He went to the wilderness. Temptation of Jesus Christ. His earthly ministry. No miracles happened until he'd done that. There was, a, there was that intense moment of preparation um, and and it, was, it was a process. The children of Israel are just the same. Children of Israel, and all that lesson and all that narrative is a precursor for Jesus coming and showing us and is also a precursor for us in our spiritual lives to realise that when we're in the wilderness, God's not doing nothing. God is doing some of the greatest, deepest stuff that we need him to do in the wilderness place. It's not out there that you get that. It's in the training period, in the wilderness, in the dry place where your roots go down deep. That's in the wilderness. Your roots don't go down deep in fertile soil. They go down deep in the arid time to search for the deep pools. Amen. So if you're in that place at the moment, it's easy for me to say, hang in. It's worth it. It's worth the journey. It's worth the process. God is doing something unique. God is doing something in your life that is not repeatable in anybody else's because you're unique, because you're different. And God knows exactly what you need in your life. And it is unique because guess what? You are unique too. And that's the message. So in that, there's, there's a planning and a preparing. Now, that, that's true. Like that, I, I've just set that as a kind of a foundation for the next thing I want to say because, listen, nobody was ever remembered for what they planned for. Yeah? Never seen any statues put up to anybody who had good plans. Statues are put up for people who achieve things, who do things. But I tell you what, you won't achieve anything if you don't plan to. So all the planning and all the preparation, while it is vital, while it is absolutely 100% necessary, we have to go through that season of our winter. We're in February, it's coming, it's coming. 
to get through into our springs. I love spring, don't you? Because we spring forward. Have you noticed that? We die back in winter, but we spring forward. The seasons don't go backwards, they go forwards. And God's season upon your life right now, I want to tell you this now. God is all for you going forward. He's not even for you going around in circles. He's for you going ahead. Okay? Forwards in his name. So when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were 100% gimme, 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 gimme. When they eventually were ready, that took 40 years. When they eventually were ready, the next generation were not gimme, 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 gimme. They were, I'm going to believe you for this fruit. When they got to the promised land, they got a shock. It wasn't empty. All waiting for them. All that lovely fruit from Eshcol and all just waiting for them. Well, guess what they were in the promised land? Canaanites. And guess what they were amongst the Canaanites? People who were nine, ten feet tall. Six fingers, six toes. Ugly looking things, but massive. They were waiting for them in the promise. In the, Lord, you promised this to us. What are they doing in here? This is ours. Look at these huge giants in the promise, in the promises of God that are yes and amen, but in the promised territory, there are lots of things to overcome. There are lots of giants that you and I have to actually destroy. And you can't play with giants, you have to destroy them. If you, if you don't confront giants, giants confront you. And so in this territory, we're talking spiritual territory here, and we're looking at the analogy of that. There's a couple of things. Paul says, this one thing I do, I've moved out. I'm forgetting. I'm moving on from all that stuff. Listen to me today. You heard it last week. Go and get the message if you haven't heard it. I'm moving out of all of that. I'm leaving that behind. This one thing I do, I forget the past, but I reach towards. Say reach towards. Do a bit of reaching now. Come on. Reach. Come on, reach towards me. Come on. That's feeble, that. Come on, reach Right? I, I press towards. What, what comes up in your mind when you think of that? I press towards. That's energetic, right? That demands energy, right? It demands effort. I press towards the call. This, it's so aspirational. It's so about goals in our lives. And it's really healthy for you to have goals in your life. I want to say that. You're a Christian, get some goals, get some God-given goals. G-G-G, God-given goals that really help you to, to really focus and, and, and go forward. God-given goals, it's really good. I know one of my, one of my God-given goals we're drawing close to at the moment is to build 100 church buildings in India. I got the pictures yesterday, got the photos through to me. Already the foundations have laid and the uprights are going up in the, 30, in the 89th church building. So we're 11 away. It's taken near 18 years to do that, but that's, a, that's been a, go, a goal and a vision of mine. And, and we're drawing in on the price. But we won't get it unless we press. We won't get it unless we keep reaching. 
just one of the goals. It's not, it's not the biggest or anything, but it's, it's one that you can easily measure. It's identifiable. This one thing I do. Wow. Now, in the Bible, Rhea mentioned before, to have assurances of the promises of God. And I've only got 10 minutes left, so I really have to get through this stuff. Because it's really important. Because this message doesn't mean much without, without a kind of how-to bit to reach towards, to press towards. We need a how-to. How do we do that? Um, in the Bible, the Bible's full of promises. Some of them are general promises, and, 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 but there are promises that are conditional too, written into it. If you abide in me and I in you, you will ask. Isn't that, don't you agree that's conditional straight away? Because there's an if. If you're not abiding in me, you can't just go around and ask him what you want. But when you're abiding, it's funny how you start to ask what God wants to do in your life. And there's an alignment goes. You all know about that anyway. So, but listen to all the things that God says are ours in Christ Jesus. Promises, promises, come on. Salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be. Can we do that again? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be. Amen. What does that mean, saved? Well, that's for another day. But we know that salvation is from the judgments of God. It's the mercy and the grace of God. Uh, We have forgiveness through salvation. Uh, Praise God. We also have, I wrote it down wrong before, we have life after death. It's a promise. Do you know what? I don't find that hard to believe. Right? uh, uh, Some people only believe in death after life. I believe in life after death. And uh, Jesus said, more than that he believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live he also promised that he's going to go and prepare a place for us so he's he's built a place for us isn't that good if it took God six days to create the world and everything in it and Jesus has been 2000 plus years preparing a place for us we're pretty good amen He also said we'd be reunited with our loved ones who've gone on before us. One of the great things that, you know, our funerals are not dirges, are they? Stop the dirge. Celebration. It's not just celebration of a life, it's celebration of the time to come in Christ Jesus. God made us promises that he put his rainbow in the sky. I saw a lovely one the other day, a lovely big rainbow in Wales we saw the other day. Um, God put his rainbow in the sky to say that he would never flood the earth again. If you want a visible, visible evidence of a promise God has given, it's the rainbow. You might think of it as being something else. It's not. Right? That's, that's what the ra- rainbow really means. Revelation. God promised he would judge all the earth in righteousness. God promised us to give us his rightness. I don't have any rightness of myself. All my rightness is like a filthy, dirty old rag. But I have rightness when it comes to the gift of Jesus Christ through faith. You have too. All of that is just absolutely amazing. Do you know what Jesus also promised us? He said, I'll come again. In Acts chapter 1, even the angels said that he's going in this way, he'll come in the same way also. And I just just think, wow, where we are today and... I thought about this, you know, on Monday it was uh, Holocaust Memorial Day. 
And I saw a statistic, and I, I just got to say, it really brought tears to my eyes. I was really, I'm not, don't get emotional very easily. But that really did make me feel, because um, people having a minute silence, it was terrible what happened to uh, Kobe Bryant, was it? On, and his daughter and helicopter crowd. Terrible, terrible thing, having minute silence everywhere. And because that was in the now, everybody gave attention to that. And I understand that. But it's endemic of the time that we live that the news of today far outshadows the news of yesterday. But if we had a minute silence for every victim of the Holocaust, a minute silence, we would be silent for 11 and a half years. You say that again? If we had a minute silence for everyone who died in the Holocaust, we would be silent for 11 and a half years. And I thought, that can't be right. Checked it out right. So many people died. The wickedness, depravity of humanity. We need God. How we need God. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need the compassion of Jesus who came to display the magnitude of the grace and righteousness of God through the Son of Man. That's why we need the Son of Man. Not just the Son of God, we need the Son of Man. Oh, bless you, Jesus. Can, can you just bless the Lord with me for a moment? Bless you, Jesus, for being the Son of Man as well as the Son of God. How could you ever be our high priest except you became the Son of Man? You're the Son of the living God, but you're the Son of Man. Can we hear it for the Son of Man? Praise you, Jesus, our great high priest, our sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of the world, but my sin. Your sin. Let's personalize that a moment. Savior. So we have all those promises written down, but guess what? There's personal promises that God wants to give to us. The trouble is, we're too busy with lots of stuff in our lives that we don't hear the personal promises that are... Listen, I grew up listening to hundreds of Bible studies about finding the will of God. We kind of had one weekly, I think, at one point. We don't need another Bible study about finding the will of God. We just need some faith to get out there and discover it. Just by pursuing God, just by realizing the need is the call, just by doing things that are merciful and good and helpful to some people who are in need, you discover God's call on your life when you move in faith. You really do. You really do. And notice this, that all the people who were called in the Bible were moving people. They were all active people in some way, shape or form. They were all doing their bit when they were called. The fishermen were cleaning the nets. Gideon was threshing the corn. All of them were doing something. David was looking after the sheep. Saul was tending his father's donkeys. All of the people ever called by God were doing something. They weren't just singing a hymn. Having a sleep. Having five. You know what I'm saying now? 
They were all people who knew. Now, I'm coming to, the, coming to the thing here. What do we need to do in life to press forward, to reach towards our destiny, our future? What do we need to do? Because there's four things we will need to overcome. I could have called it four giants. And I'll start with number one, fear. I said this the other week. Fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. Fear immobilizes, it stops you, it limits you, it prevents you, it makes you panic, it debilitates you so that you can't use your, your gifts, your faculties, it does lots and lots of things, it grips you, it, it, it weakens you, it dilutes you in so many ways. So we have to conquer fear. And what, do you, what do you think conquers fear? I'll tell you one thing that will conquer fear every single time. Faith. Faith overcomes doubt. It overcomes fear. When you act in faith, it doesn't take your fear right away. I've acted in faith sometimes. I've been terrified. That's why the Lord says, be bold. Be bold. He says, be it. Be it. Just say to someone next to you now, be bold. In that situation in front of you, be bold. Don't wait for boldness. If you wait for boldness, you'll be waiting all your life. And the more you wait, guess what? The longer you'll be afraid. And the more you wait, the longer you wait, the more frightened you become. But if you say, Lord, I am afraid, but I'm going to face this. Somehow, when you walk towards your Goliath, when you walk towards your giant, when you walk towards him, instead of becoming more and more scared, you become more and more bold as you walk towards your destiny, as you walk towards your triumph, as you walk towards your victory, as you walk towards your destiny in Jesus' name. You become more and more and more bold as you do that. But you don't get boldness if you don't take steps. You understand that? I want to tell you, if I, if I confessed how many times I've been afraid in life, I could keep you here for weeks. There's no such thing as supermen, superwomen in the kingdom of God. There's one super person. His name's Jesus. As I like to say, my hero never wore a cape, he wore a crown. Seriously. And I, I, I just know that... Uh, the weak, there's a hymn that says, the weakest saint can win the day. The weakest saint. You know, the weakest person in this auditorium now can rise in boldness and slay every known and unknown giant in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I am absolutely convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. Just by living the amount of years I've lived, I'm convinced of it because I've seen it. It's not the strongest people that the spoils go to in life. It's the weakest saint who trusts in the living God. God loves to see weak people trust in his strength. God loves to see frightened people trust in his provision. God loves to see the pauper believe God for the resources for the miracle. God loves to see the woman in the house who hasn't got anything except a pot of oil. 
Trust in the word of the Lord. And every vessel is filled and filled and filled and filled to overflowing. It's not the rich. It's not the famous. It's not the, it's not the strong. It's not the patient. It's not the nice people. It's the people who know they need God where God comes through for you. It's the people in need who know God. It's, it's not all the people who know every chapter and verse of the Bible and all the people who've been to college. They've got the PhD. They've got the DD. They've got this, that, the other. They've got more letters after the name than the alphabet. It's not those people. It's the people who say, I will follow you, Lord, when you call me. I will obey you, Lord, when you call me. You see, Jesus, he's, he asked some simple things. Simple things. But simple things aren't always easy. Don't, 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 don't confuse simple for easy. He said, to, he said to fishermen, leave your nets, follow me. Now, is there anything complicated about that? Let me ask again, is there anything complicated about that? Do, 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 do you need some kind of scientific understanding? Do you need some kind of academic understanding to understand that sentence? Do you need to be a scribe or a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a teacher of the Bible, a pastor, a politician? God help us, no. A lawyer? It's a simple instruction, but it's not easy to leave your nets and follow. Jesus went to a man who was rich and he says, sell all your goods, give them to the poor. What did he mean? Can, any, can, 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 can anybody just break that down? Can anybody uh, tell me what he was really meaning? Sell? All? What, all? Everything? Sell them? For how much? <laughs> Who to? And every sermon's got to have three parts to how much, who to, and what do I do? Easy. Give them to the book. Give them. Give them. Surely I should charge them something. Maybe base rate, three quarter percent. I'm a businessman. Sell all your goods and give them to the poor. It's a simple instruction. It's very hard to do. Jesus said to a man whose arm was withered, stretch out your arm, stretch out your hand. Oh, what did he mean? Here we are again. See, it's really technical, isn't it? When Jesus says something. You notice that? It's really technical. Only church has made it difficult. Only churches and pastors and preachers have made it technical. No, come for, come for 12 Bible studies and you'll understand. Why do we do that? I mean... Cause ourselves grief, Pastor Alex, or what? We don't need 12 Bible studies to, to tell you to leave your nets and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Pick up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let me get Young's Concordance out quickly. Pick up your cross and follow. Can you break that down again? Simple instruction, but it's not easy. Why we need God, will you give us grace? Fear. Second failure. Never let failure put you back. 
Never let it get you down. Never let it, well, failures, failures, hundreds of failures. Paul the Apostle had failures. Failure, failure, failure. Let failure be a catalyst to go again. It didn't work. It didn't happen. Don't, don't give in to failure. Let failure be your springboard. Let failure never be your stumbling block, but your springboard. Can I say that? Isaac Newton, was it Isaac Newton? Uh, sorry, Thomas Edison, inventor of the light bulb. 1,100 and something light bulbs before he got it right. I mean, come on, what a dude. What a guy. I'd have given up after 10. I'd have moved on to another project, wouldn't you? Isn't that sensible? Oh, all right, 50. How, how, can I hear it? Who's for 50? Who's for 100? Who would carry on after 200? None of us would do it. It's absolute failure. Thomas Edison, over a thousand failures, so much so that he says, I failed my way to success. You feel like a failure today? I want to say to you, with Christ in your life, your failure belongs in your history, not in your destiny. Not in your destiny. That was then. Stop crying about it. It's gone. Tomorrow is a new day. It's a new season for your life. Don't worry about your failures. Don't worry about your defeats. Frustration. Another. Four of these, right? Four big giants. Fear, failure, frustration. Anybody here get frustrated? The rest of you are not human. <laughs> you're robots or you're just images that are not really there. Frustration is a tough thing. I, 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 and I'm not a patient person. Most of you are. God forgive me, but I, I keep trying. And I do keep trying. and I, I keep failing, but I still try, honestly. Do, do I try, love? I do, try. I do my best. Sometimes my best isn't good enough. I understand that. But frustrating. Some things are just frustrating, like not turning mics on. You're preaching your lungs out here, nobody can hear you. <laughs> you get on YouTube or you get on, and, and, and you, 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 somebody says, oh, that word, that word. You go on it, you think, I'm, I'm like in a room talking to myself here. I cracked a fantastic joke, everybody laughed. I knew how everybody laughed, but on there, nobody. <laughs> I was like, some sad geezer sat in his back room preaching to himself. I just, I, you know, if that's going to be the case, I may as well stay at home. I could have done the message in my own front room. You know what I'm saying? Is that, is that not frustrating? Come on, guys, is that not frustrating? Or what? Lots of things are frustrating, aren't they? The cleaners come in the other week and the place was like a bomb. They did it. They cleaned it up the day before. Is that not frustrating? Is that not? Come on, guys, have a heart. It's frustrating. So we, we, we've got frustrations in our lives all, all over the place. But we have to, re even Nehemiah's, in Nehemiah's day, he couldn't build the walls because of so much rubble. I should have finished this message a long time ago. I know. So that's frustrating for you. <laughs> have you heard a joke about the parrot? No, it's all right. So don't worry I'm not going to do it, you're all right. Don't worry, Paul. 
It's only because of what you said last week I said that, so just be careful. So frustration is something they have to get over. But we ha if we recognise it's part of the process of helping character to bed in in our lives and to get through stuff, we realise that we have to use that frustration sometimes to birth in us new patients. And sometimes, because things aren't working, we have to come up with new ideas. When we have to come up with new ideas, we do it. When we don't have to, we don't. And so sometimes discomfort, God will allow that to come to move us on in life. So frustration, we've got to, get, we've got to conquer it. Fatigue. Anybody been fatigued here ever in their lives? Anybody been that place? Well, you know, some people get fatigued after nine seconds. I ain't talking about that kind of fatigue, right? All right, some of you nine minutes. And some of you after a 20-minute sermon, you've had it. You just wish, hurry up, wrap up, let's go home. Right? I know that. I get that. Okay, this is, this is modern Britain and it's, you know, a concentration span of nine minutes, 20 seconds. But fatigue, at the beginning of something, we can start something and everything's celebratory, it's all wonderful, it's great, we're going for it, it's fantastic. But where fatigue is at its worst moment, and it's at its, its zenith in our lives, is right in the centre, the middle. And is it Habakkuk turns around and he says, revive your work, O Lord, in the midst of the years. It's not at the beginning. I want to be honest with you now. The beginning's a lot easier. The stakes aren't very high. You start. There's euphoria at the start. There's, okay, it might not be euphoria, but there's energy. There's passion. Everybody's great. We've started this. We've started that. And a few years on, and it's like, oh, it's a slog. You know, that, that race we were running has become a, become a foot slog. You know what we have to do? We have to look to the Lord. Say, Lord, revive your work. Revive your work in me in the midst of the years. I mean, I've just reached middle age, right? Which means I'll live to 116. <laughs> Please, no. That's what you're saying. I'm saying it too. So, Tom, no, I'm halfway through middle age, actually. Um, that's when it's harder. Come on, you youngsters. Come on, guys. I've seen you in India. Some of you. Just up, up the level a bit. All, you know, how tired you get, how quickly you, you get tired. It, it, it's a miracle. In reverse. <laughs> how long you can sleep. It's a miracle. You know the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit? There isn't a tenth that's sleeping. But some of our young people have the gift of sleep. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm using you. I'm taking the mickey a bit. But you, you do understand, don't you? Trust me, your energy levels will grow in your future years when they have to. So don't worry about it. I know you're not worried about it. They're not worried about it. We're worried about it, but they're not worried about it. Okay, so I get you, I get you, I get you. <laughs> oh, dear. So the answer to all these things is our faith. Activate your faith. You know when you get a new credit card? Yeah? You've all got one of them, haven't you? I bet you have. So you've got two or three. 
When you get a new credit card, you can't just go out and use it. You have to activate it. We have to activate our faith. Did you know that? Faith without is faith without work is dead. And some of us, we've got faith, but we don't take it out for a walk. Some of us have got faith, but we don't stretch it, we don't use it, we don't press into it, we don't exercise it like we should. We need to learn to do that. We have to also understand about our faith. I talked about moving forward before in that journey, didn't I? Taking those steps towards your destiny. When you're afraid, you walk forward with boldness because God is with me. God is with me. I'm so scared, Lord, but you're with me. I'm so scared going into this situation. When I first started in my chaplaincy at Salford Red Devils, I'm going into the situation where people didn't speak to me for six months. And all these beefcakes around and about me thought they were going to beat me up. Never mind, speak about Jesus. Jesus. Now it's amazing the relationship I have. Sometimes you just got to be bold and be strong because you know the Lord's with you wherever you go. But faith, you have to activate it. I'm really sorry we've got, oh, look at the time, man. I wanted to say this. Can I just say this? Finally, brethren. <laughs> Paul, if possible. Finally, brethren, let me leave you with peace. Activate your faith. Alka-Seltzer. Anybody remember Alka-Seltzer? See, young ones won't remember Alka-Seltzer. Yeah, honestly, it really worked. It was good. Alcazar, you have a funny tummy or anything like that? Get your Alcazar. You got a tablet, but before it worked, what did you have to do? Put it in water. When you put it in water, what happened? All the effervescence came out and, and you drank the water. There was, it, there was a catalyst. When it hit the water, it changed, right? Flour. If you don't put the yeast in, you get that old crummy, no-taste flatbread. Put the yeast in, you get a lovely, fluffy loaf, if you do it at the right time. Because the yeast is a catalyst with the flour and water, right? Am I right? Seeds. Put a bag of seeds. I say, oh, there's a bag of poppy seeds. Okay, I'll leave them in the garden. Nothing will happen. Put them in the soil. Expose them to sunshine and rain. Okay, so we've got to take them and plant them abroad because they need the sun. Anyway, all right. Expose them to the sun and the rain, the catalyst. The conditions are the catalyst. Faith, think about that. I could go into that loads, couldn't I? Yeah? The conditions you operate your faith in make it bloom and blossom. Yeah? The catalyst, blue. Without yellow, there's no... Ooh, the artists amongst us. I love green. I love green. Green watch. Green trainers. Half green jacket. I'm surprised you can see me. <laughs> Camouflaged. For those of you who didn't get that. Okay, right. But without yellow, blue on it, so there's no green. The blue and the yellow mixed is a catalyst for something different. Faith and works go together in Jesus' name with boldness. They, they, they trigger something. Something happens. Miracles happen. 
You want to know what the ingredients for a miracle are? It's faith and works. Works and faith. Faith and works. Yeah? So go out there. Be bold. Be strong. Spark without oxygen is no... Without a vision, the people perish. Have that vision. It doesn't mean to say you'll die tomorrow when you've got no vision. It means you just wear away, you decay. Things just wear down and wear down and wear down and without vision. Suddenly, when God gives you a revelation, God gives you a vision, what happens? Boom! Boom! that right? First the boom, then the bloom. That's what happens with revelation. So just stand with me now. Worship team, come, come, get ready.